Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome, everybody, to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Josh McElroy, a special operations veteran now serving at-risk youth as a mentor and horsemanship instructor. Josh served in the United States Army as a medic in the 82nd Airborne, then moved on to the 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment and onto the Joint Special Operations Command. As with many other service members, reintegration into civilian life posed its own set of challenges. Through Josh's faith and love for the horse, he was able to find purpose and direction and now serves many others through his horsemanship. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. We hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is our conversation with Special Operations Veteran turned Horseman, Mr. Josh McElroy. I, I did some cold starting this summer with uh, uh, my son and uh, one of the kids who was uh, one of my former students who, who ended up being pretty handy with the horse after uh, after working with us for a while. And uh, we started six, five or six head for uh, a friend of mine. Uh, and there was a couple of them in there that uh, just phenomenal little horses that they're grade, um, grade little fillies, but uh, they're they're really put together nice and uh great great minds on these horses they day one on on both of them uh I, I told my son i wouldn't mind owning either of them um so it worked out pretty good that we uh we were able to get get both of them and so oh, just, sweet. yeah i uh i tr- traded all the work on uh on all those colts uh across on one of them and and then did some horse trading on on the other one so um we got two new ones and, uh, they're, they're going into the string. Hopefully we'll be able to keep, uh, at least one of them. Uh, my saddle horse is, is bred back now. Uh, she's reached the age that she's kind of ready to retire and have a few babies and just kind of live the good life. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, she's going to need a replacement. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, man. Good stuff. So, uh, as we start every show, uh, I, I want to give listeners a little context and history as to who you are and your place in this world. You do some incredible work with horses and at-risk youth. Uh, it's been a trying road to get to that point, and I think that's where a lot of the value comes in your testimony. But let's kind of start with your early experiences with horses uh, growing up in Oklahoma, correct? Yeah, um, among other places. Um, my dad was a uh, uh, was and and still is a Southern Baptist preacher. Uh, he cowboyed uh, kind of as a, a, a passion, and he he's been cowboying since he was a young kid. Um, but as a preacher, you know, we moved a lot, and so I, I was born in Oklahoma. And the guy I call my godfather, and he's second only to my to my father, and kind of influenced him in my life. Um, he had a you know couple thousand acres there in the Oklahoma Panhandle, and. Uh, so I, I spent summers with him growing up from really about the time I, I can remember. Um, I, I'd go to his house at the beginning of the summer and he'd hand me a green horse from whatever stock they had. Um, I would, 
I would say that they are, are not people who uh, put a lot of stock in the, the papers behind a horse. Uh, yeah. My godfather yeah. always says, I, I've never been able to ride a set of papers. Um, <laughs> True enough, so, right? <laughs> so we got all kinds of horses from, you know, I had horses that had, you know, 11 brands on them off the, the Navajo reservation to, you know, extra open horses to, you know, two-year-olds. Um, and I, he would hand me one of those in the summer and I would ride it all summer. And, uh, I, I was working in the sale barns when I was like nine years old, um, (laughs) pinning cattle with them. And, uh, I, I just this year, it's been almost, yeah, it's been 30 years, uh, since that. And I, I found out this year that he had told uh, the folks at the sale barn that, uh, if they weren't going to let me work, he wasn't going to work. No uh, kidding. and so they paid me a man's wage at nine years old. Um, and I, I started working and I, I love that. I love the, the life, um, of the cowboy and we didn't live there. So, you know, I, I would come back at the, at the end of the summer and, and I, you know, kept pestering my dad to get me a horse and he finally broke down. When I was like nine years old and he took me to sale barn and, uh, and we got a horse kind of that just, it w- probably would have gone to the killers. <laughs> she was not pretty. She was like, <laughs> she was just 500 pound two year old that just was a little tiny ball of nothing. Uh-huh. Um, started her, everything was great. She just had a real good mind. And then, we bought the next set of horses off of the sale barn and those were pretty rough. Um, I think they'd seen a human when they got run into the trailer. Um, and so we, we tried to start them. The only way that my dad knew how to teach me was the way he started. And, you know, he and another guy when they were 16 years old, their job was to start 30 head of percher on thoroughbred crosses at five years old. Um, and they had two weeks to do it. Yeah, they, they, uh, they'd, you know, ear him down, ride him to the quick buck and go on to the next one. And so that was what he knew. And that's what he taught me. And, um, you know, the old cowboy way, it's my, you know, it's suboptimal for a 90 pound nine year old, uh, to be able to kind of feel in timing that. Yeah. You don't have a lot of leverage in that fight. No, no. And, uh, so we, my, my dad and I were kind of stumped as to, how we kind of get around these horses. Cause you know, I wasn't making a whole lot of headway and it wasn't, you know, he wasn't trying to, to start horses. And we went to a, a farm show and Craig Cameron was running a clinic there, you know, one of his little demonstrations when, you yeah. know, this was 25 years ago. Nobody, you know, he wasn't a big name like he is now. And I guess he and my dad had cowboyed for some of the same people over the years. Um, and he, and my dad talked, and he offered to let us come to one of his clinics out there at, uh, at his Bluffdale place. And if we could get there, we could come for free. And no so it, it was, it was really a blessing for us. Cause you know, we, we even then we couldn't have afforded what, whatever it was going to cost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we saw a lot of stuff there that made a lot of sense and just, Hey, there's, there's another way to be able to do this where you, you don't have to muscle your way through this and, and maybe you're going to get a little bit better commitment from your horse. Yeah. Um, so I, I credit my dad with having an open mind, um, to be able to accept that and not just be like, well, we're going to do it this way. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so I, I kind of 
started down the road of trying to figure out how to get things done a little bit different. Um, and I, you know, I cowboyed for, for different outfits, uh, in high school that were kind of local there, um, day work for them and worked the cell barn there in high school and, um, got through high school and, you know, uh, much like the days, you know, it was just expected that you go to college. Um, but being a preacher's kid, um, and, uh, I sort of, you know, fit the stereotype there. I, I went to college and I figured out that you could party on a Tuesday and nobody was going to come. Yeah. Nobody's going to whoop you in jail you or anything. Yeah, when you don't get home before and the streetlights. So, um, I will say that, that, that was suboptimal for my college progression. Um, I, I think I did two years there and it was just getting worse and worse. And I was not committed to class at all. Um, and so I got to a point where I was like, man, I, I just can't keep doing this. I yeah, just blowing money. Um, and I was going nowhere in life. And so you know, I picked up the, the phone book when they still had those, um, thumbed through the yellow pages and found an army recruiter. Um, and I was like, Hey man, um, how fast can you get me out of here? Um, and I think within like a month or so, I was I was headed to headed to uh, in processing at, at Fort Benning. Um, I, I became a medic because I was colorblind. Um, so uh, I don't know. I, this was in the early stages of the war, um, and so I, I guess they were probably in need of medics uh, <laughs> because all all of the other jobs, yeah, all the other jobs they they told me that I was qualified for as a colorblind person, you know, uh, had no relation to medicine. Uh, I was like, well, you guys, you guys really must need medics. Cause, uh, those, those don't sound appealing at all. One of these things is not like the other. Yeah. That's exactly what I said. It's like, uh, I, I watch a lot of Sesame street, man. And this is, this is, <laughs> I got this, this is, this is where I'm, I'm, I'm making the decision. So, uh, I did that. I, I volunteered to start jumping out of planes, uh, it's like that sounds like fun, you know. Yeah. I was a you know young hard charger. Yeah. Um, Trying to make a name. So, yep i I started jumping out of planes. Uh, if you ever uh, feel like you want to jump out of a plane and it's going to be a fun experience, don't do it with the army. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just go to the civilian side. Uh, the army is really good about taking things that should be fun and and just nixing that fun yeah. part. Yeah. Um, and then. Uh, I started my career uh, out in Korea. Um, super, super cool experience. Um, it's a young single kid. I had a really terrific unit uh, and met some of the best friends I have in my life. Uh, we were stationed together. We were the we were the medics there, and and we've been together you know, almost ever since. Um, so I I really enjoyed that. I came back to Fort Bragg because uh, if you start jumping out of airplanes, you're going to Fort Bragg at some point. Um, and then it's hard to get away. I, I was in the 82nd airborne and I was just not super happy with the culture. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, my hands got cold and I would like to put them in my pockets because my pockets were warm. Um, <laughs> the 82nd airborne <laughs> did not look favorably upon that. Uh, and they also felt like I should get a haircut every week. And I was more of the opinion it should be like monthly. Yeah. Um, yeah. and Time so we came to, a, yeah, we came to a mutual parting of ways where they were like, you don't belong here. And I was like, I don't belong here. Um, 
And one of my uh, my senior guys told me about this magical place called Special Operations. You know where you could yeah. I think you I put heard your hands that. in your pockets. Yeah, <laughs> and you could you could uh, some some places let you grow a beard, and like you could get your hair cut once a month, maybe every two months. And I was like, you know, sign me up for wherever oh, that I'm is. I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna try that. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't think I got the entire brief. Um. But there's always you know, the back of the flyer, right? You yeah, got to read the back of the I, flyer. I, I, there was some small print I think I missed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I went through, um, a more advanced medical school. Um, and it was basically like taking two years of college, um, and putting it into eight months. Um, and I, I was able to, you know, kind of drink from the fire hose very quickly. Uh, one of the, early things I learned in my life was that, uh, that quitting is not an option. Yeah. Um, it just never even exist came into my mind that yeah. I could, I could, I could just not keep going. Um, and I was, uh, I was selected for, um, the 160th special operations aviation regiment. Um, they're, uh, they are the guys, if you are a helicopter pilot, you're a helicopter crewman, uh, if you want to be the best, the best, that's where you go. Um, and they are, I've, I've been in aircraft and I've seen stuff done in aircraft that shouldn't be, shouldn't be physically possible. Um, super, super guys. Uh, and if you, you hear that they've done something and you're like, that's completely impossible. Just believe whatever you heard. Chances are there's uh, some truth behind it. Yeah, they, they did it. Um, (laughs) and, uh, loved every minute of that unit. Um, went to, uh, went to the desert in various places quite a bit, um, with them and then, uh, kind of promoted myself out of a job. Uh, and so I went to the, the joint special operations command, um, did a lot of stuff, um, there with, with different organizations, different people, all of who were, you know, the utmost professionals, um, super talented people. Um, they write books about them. Um, and I was just lucky enough to be able to, to serve with them. So, yeah. That was a super cool place. Um, and then I started doing the math with my wife and I'd been home kind of like two consecutive months in, in 10 years. Jeez. Um, so when, uh, when you're not deployed, the deployments are super short, uh, in, in relation to a lot of the conventional guys who are having to go for like a year and, you know, a year and change. Um, but we were actually, you know, never home. So we'd come home from a, you know, a 90, hundred day deployment and then we'd be home three or four days and then we were gone for training for two or three weeks and then we'd be back for a week and then we'd be gone again. So, yeah, yeah. um, the pace was, the, the pace was tough. Um, and I, I really kind of wanted to see my, my kids grow up and I would actually like to have kids. We had, we had my oldest son at that point, but he was pretty young. Um, and, um, it was it was strange because the I I remember listening to your interview with uh, Tammy Olivic and yeah. her her talking about um, the day in 2011 when her husband said they're all dead, um, and I I remember that day too because I knew those guys, um, and the last couple of rotations for me had just been getting kind of sportier and sportier and, and we'd been losing more and more of the guys that I knew, um, and the tally was getting pretty high. So I figured, you know, at this point, there's only so many more times I can put another boy yeah, you're around. you're rolling the dice so many times. And and spin the chamber before it's going to come up my turn. Yeah. Um. So I got out. And that's when, <laughs> wow, that's when life really sort of took a jump. Uh, 
all the stuff I was used to, you know, the, the mission, the priorities. Uh, I have heard people say it before. It's, it's super true. It's, it was so much easier to be in a war zone. Yeah. Um, cause you know, your priorities are wake up, eat, go to the gym, don't die, wash, rinse, repeat. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, and then when I, when I got out, um, those priorities, you know, it, it begins to shift. And I took a job with a, with a company that they train military and law enforcement. And I was the medical director for the, for the division, for the training there. And I was, you know, I was making really good money. I was making six figures. Um, but I was working at, at, you know, at least 80 hours a week. Um, and my marriage was, was falling apart. Um, we weren't talking, uh, we weren't communicating. Um, and there was a lot of stuff that, you know, that each of us was kind of thinking, but not saying, and, holding against the other person or not talking about. Um, and I wasn't spending time with my horses who, you know, I, I had had horses since, you know, my first deployment, I came back and I could afford to buy a horse. I was back in, you know, I, I bought one. Um, and I, I'd had the same, same horses with me and I wouldn't get to spend time with them. And when I, when I did, you know, it'd take me an hour to catch, catch my horse because my headspace was just yeah, not just correct. Rattled. Yeah. And you know, the, the horse being the horse, they, they want no part of that. Um, so I, I was just not in a good headspace, not in a good life space. My relationship with God was just not existent at that point. Um, I was, I was pretty sure I was going to be able to get this done on my own. Um, and I was struggling a lot with PTS and, and with depression. Um, I didn't even realize it was depression. I, I you know, I'm not depressed. I'm not suicidal. Um, and I, I was able to talk to, um, a really good therapist who is, who kind of knew where I came from. He knew a lot of the, the guys in the community. And, and so just by virtue of it being a small world in the special operations community, yeah, it, they all kind of, everybody tends to kind of come from the same mold, right? You know, the, and you'll see the same, you've seen the same thing. You look at law enforcement and that kind of thing where, you know, the, the more type A guys tend to tend to group together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, um, when I kind of diagnosed with that, I was like, Oh, well that's, that's strange. Yeah. Um, and I, I've reached the turning point and I could, I could see that if, I didn't change that not only was it it not going to be good for me, but that, you know, I was going to lose my wife and my kids. And I didn't want to become another one of those guys who, who had done that. Right. Um, and so my, my wife and I did a lot of work on our marriage and a lot of praying. Um, and we decided that, Hey, you know, the, the money is not worth, what this is doing and we just can't stay in this job. Um, and so when we decided to leave, um, the job, it was, you know, it was like kind of a weight was lifted off. I'm like, okay, now we can work on, on putting us back together. And God was like, you know, it's, it's time for you to do what I need you to do. Um, and at that point we, we thought, okay, you know, 
we'll put our our names in the hat for a lot of these ranch manager positions and we got one that was a a sounded like the coolest thing in the world right it was a guest ranch where i could have the family there and we were going to run all the the ranch experiences and that kind of thing and my my family would be able to live there with me on the ranch and i'd be able to be horseback again you know it's going to be the coolest thing in the world um and i was super pumped about this and so i kind of just went down that road and god was like hey that's that's it's not really what i want you yeah check um, this out and I, I really wasn't listening <laughs> until uh, I, I got down to Texas and uh, I moved down there with half my stuff and I had dogs and I had horses and the people who had given us the job, the guy who was supposed to be leaving, whose, whose position we were taking, decided after a week of me being there um, that he wasn't going to leave anymore. Um, Great. And so they're like, hey, you don't have a job anymore. Like, what do you want me to do? Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm here. My what? And we had spent every last dime we had uh, getting our house in shape to where it could be sold. Um, and I was like, "Well, I'm coming home, and I got no job, <laughs> and we didn't have a whole lot of money." They gave me a severance package, uh, and that was kind of all we had. <laughs> and so I was applying for every every job that had horse in the title. Cause I knew that was where God had told me, Oh, you know, this is where your, your peaceful place is. This is where, you know, where this is where you need to with. Yeah. so I was looking for anything with horses in the title. And, uh, I literally, we had like a month, less than a month left of, of money, <laughs> um, before I was going to be working at Lowe's trying to, to put food on the table. And, yeah. um, I had this, call from Kentucky of this alternative high school who I was going to be the horsemanship instructor who I had applied for. But I, I, you know, me having no teaching background, I'm like, I'm never going to get this job. Um, <clears throat> and then I got a call and they, in the phone interview, it, it didn't really sound like I was supposed to be a teacher um, in the traditional sense. Yep, uh, it was yep. like, it doesn't sound like you need a teacher. It sounds like you need a senior NCO. Like it sounds like you need an <laughs> army guy. Um, I can do that. <clears throat> I've done that for a while. Yeah. And, um, so we, we took the job. Um, I had no college degree, um, zero experience teaching in, um, a K through 12 setting. Um, and zero experience with, uh, at risk kids other than, when those kids grew up to be adults and we gave them guns and sent them to war, I knew those kids. Yeah. yeah, The, the um, older version, right? Yeah. I knew the older version, but I, ne I never got them, you know, in, in the middle. <laughs> um, and so we, we came to Kentucky and, uh, it was, it's been the first year was definitely a trying time. Uh, you know, uh, my wife didn't have a, a clientele built up a job here. Uh, we had, the house that hadn't sold uh, in North Carolina and we we're paying rent here. Um, and uh, we moved in two days, well, the day before school started. Um, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that was three years ago. Um, and it was, it was super strange because God is like, Hey, this is it. This is where it's supposed to be. And the day I, the day I showed up to that job, it was like, everything's gonna be okay. 
This is, I told you this is where you're supposed to be. This is where you're supposed to be. Now I got it. Um, and so I'd, I've, I had been in that, that job for you know three years and I was working with horses every day, which, you know, if you've never been to Kentucky, it's a pretty nice place. Um, yeah, they got a few horses out there, I think. <laughs> they got it. They got a couple of horses. Yeah. Um, and the the place I was working is actually on the Kentucky Horse Park, so oh, uh, wow. it's gorgeous. Drive yeah. into work every morning. Um, I learned a lot about kids, about at risk kids, about kids who've had trauma in their backgrounds. Um, and I started looking at from my medical perspective, I started looking at their neurology of like what happens to these kids, you know, when they experience trauma. And, and I, I read a really cool book by a guy named Bessel van der Kolk, um, called the body keeps the score. Um, and he talks about how the human body deals with stress and how it processes it through all the systems. And, um, I started looking at the, you know, the neurology of it. And I started seeing a lot of the same things that I was seeing in these kids in young horses that I was starting or the horses that we were working with that, that had had some trouble before they got to us. And then I could personally relate to it because I was living it. And, yeah, um, absolutely. And so, um, it turns out, you know, that, that at risk kids and horses are very, very similar neurologically, right? Uh, the, the lack of the, the neocortex development in kids. Um, and then the horse's simple brain structure of, you know, they don't have that where, you know, the, you and I have experienced it, you know, probably in our own families. And, and I remember growing up how many times I got asked, what in the world were you thinking? Yeah. Um, you don't even have the ability to think that. And I was like, I don't know. Right? Yeah. I don't know. Which is an honest uh, answer. Yeah. Sounded good at the time. And, um, I, I started seeing that, you know, the kids really had no idea why they had done that, but in their brain, it had kept them alive before. Yeah. Um, and you know, the horses were always the same way, you know, horses can have, you know, what we would deem as a, you know, an undesirable behavior, but they're not wrong. It kept them alive, you know, so what what judgment did they have that this was, you know, what this behavior is not good because it's kept me alive. Yeah, right? I kept them alive and it served that purpose. So that's the positive affirmation. There's no reasoning right. as to whether it was right or wrong or correct or not correct, you know? Right. Um, and so it, I was able to really relate that to the kids. And I, I, I was able to make breakthroughs with a lot of these kids that even the teachers who'd had them, you know, a couple of years before, they were like, I don't know why this is working now, but it, it's working. And it was the, the way I handled the horses. I was like, I, you know, I want to treat these kids like I treat the horses. They, they, I'm going to give them a chance. I, I got to know where they're coming from, but I've also got to know what they're capable of. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to be there to support them when they do the right thing, but I'm also going to hold them accountable when they do the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, and you know, part of it worked out really well from the, from the military side of, of just being a leader and, and being able to say, Hey, you know, that wasn't the behavior you're doing is not going to work in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know 
how we're going to fix it, but we're going to fix it. And I'm going to give you some of these tools to be able to do that. Um, and it was, it was really cool. I've seen changes in some of these kids who, <laughs> man, uh, if you ever want to, see changes in kids and, and horses. It, it was really cool because I've seen kids who, who personally told me, um, you know, two or three years ago that they didn't plan on making it past 18. They, they knew they were going to be dead. Um, how scary is that, man? When you think about it on a fundamental level, like a child shouldn't even be able to formulate that thought. And I know there's plenty of bad people out there in this world and there's horrifically violent juveniles, right? Uh, on some level in some communities, but I mean, Dude, it's so sad to think about that, that these kids, as young as they are, struggling with that, that decision. Yeah, and that that they couldn't see any way out of yeah. where they were. Yeah. And I've just this year, I've seen the same kids graduate, uh, graduate high school. Awesome. And not just graduate awesome. high school, graduate high school. And now, you know, one of the kids that I work with is working at a nonprofit who teaching kids to ride and he's learning farriery and he's, you know, he's the quote unquote farm manager. Um, and he just needed the responsibility and say, Hey, you yeah, know, this is your direction. Job. Yeah. This is, this is what you can do to, to be helpful to everybody else. Um, and I've got other kids who, you know, who were two years behind in school just because they didn't care. And, and now I've got a kid who's working at a thoroughbred farm full time and going to school online to finish his high school full time. Um, because his family needs the money. So he knew that needed to happen. So he was going to go get a job. Um, called me and was like, Hey, Mr. Mack, you got a job that I could do. And I was like, I don't got one, but I will find you one. Maybe. Yeah. We'll come up with some. And, um, so just the changes in the kids and, just the fact that those kids knew that there was somebody out there who didn't just look at them like a broken toy um, or didn't look at them with pity and not see that they were capable of more. Um, you know, and it's, you've seen the same thing in a, in a horse, right? Where, where it's had a lot of issues and, and people will, bemoan the fact that this horse was abused or neglected or whatever and that's where their thought process stops that they're they're just sorry that that happened correct and now correct now what now what right um and i i told all the kids you know i i'm not a hugger like <laughs> i'm not gonna come up and we're, we're not gonna have that kind of relationship um <laughs> uh you're always going to call me Mr. McRoy. Um, you're going to do things exactly the way I tell you to do it. You're not going to backtalk me. You're not going to go left or right. But at the end of whenever you've done what I told you to do my way, if you see a better way to do it, present it to me. Yeah. And if it's safe and we can get the same amount of work done, I'll do it. Yep. And you know, the same way you do with the horse, you, you're not going to trick a horse in anything. They're going to see that the standard is the same all the time. And once they realize that the standard doesn't change, 
you know, that you're not moving the bar on them every time, then they'll commit to something wholeheartedly and because they know that there's always going to be relief at the end. Something good for them, yeah. yeah. And so I I saw the same stuff working with the kids that, you know, I we're doing things my way because it's a safety way, right? Mm-hmm. I, you know, some of these kids had never even seen a horse uh, before they came here. And it's like, well, I've been doing this for 30 years, and so I can kind of see a couple of steps ahead of you. And I can tell you that's probably going to end up with you getting hurt. So let's, let's not, not do, do that. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but I also, you know, gave the kids the agency to, to fail. And I told them, I expect you to fail. Because if you don't, how do you know what doesn't work? Yeah. Man, that's incredible. Right. It really is. And I, and I told him, you know, yeah, you failed. Your kids, you're supposed to fail. You didn't know anything about this. Nobody ever a lot taught different you how than, to do this. Yeah, which is a lot different than telling them they're a failure, right? Which yeah. is probably and, what they've heard. And I, I, I told them because some of them were like, "I'm not a failure." I said, "No, I never said you." Yeah. I said, "You failed, not you're a failure." I said, "You should fail as much as you possibly can because then you can figure out a thousand things that don't work." And if they don't work, why are we doing it? Yeah. Because there's, there's a better way because this way doesn't work. And it was one of the things that, you know, God had, had worked on me with because there were a lot of times where I, I associated a specific task failure with my personal worth. Right. Um, and that, that was somehow tied to my character and, then I realized that, you know, it, the only failure in your character is if you quit. You know, if, if you believe it's too hard and you're just not going to put in the effort. Yeah. But other than that, if you put in an effort and you fail, you can learn. Good will and come as long from as it. you're learning. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can change. And if you're changing forward, then that's that's God's purpose for you, right? Yeah. You, you, he never, he never told you you had to, to, to stay where you're at. And he never told you that it was going to be easy to move forward. He just said, do as I ask, go the way I want you to go. And it'll be good in the end. So it's been one of the, one of the coolest things to be able to see. And the transition of, the skills that I got taught and that were taught to me over all these years, whether it was cowboy skills, whether it was, you know, just life skills, Hey, how to change a tire, how to, you know, how to build something, um, or, you know, leadership skills or, you know, interpersonal skills that have been taught to me over the years to be able to pass that on and see that there was value in what I learned. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. And, there that other people found it valuable right um because i've I've seen so many people gripe and complain about the kids you know you you hear it, the kids these days always with their phones and yada 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 well we made them like that yeah challenge them to do something more interesting <laughs> than that phone yeah you, you didn't give them anything more challenging and you didn't expect yeah. anything more of them than accepted that it. then of course they're going to be that way um, and post 
you know, active service, it, it, you know, became clear to me that that was my mission is to be able to pass what I learned on and be able to know that the same skills that serve me, that serve this country well, will serve them. And that's a pretty cool purpose. Um, and I can attach myself to that. Yeah. Just like, you know, definitely just like going out the door on a, you know, a raid. My purpose was to bring everybody I could home. Yep. I I can attach myself to that. Um, and I saw so many of the, the guys I knew come back and just kind of without that, you know, stated purpose, wearing the flag on your right shoulder, they couldn't figure out what they were supposed to do with all those skills. Yeah. Um, I think, man, I think listening to your testimony, probably first and foremost, probably one of the most candid descriptions of, of a special operations career, uh, and kind of (laughs) glossing over some of the stuff. Uh, but I do, I think the overlying or the, uh, excuse me, the underlying theme in your testimony and your story is direction direction right and and the challenge of leaving a career in in the military or leaving a career in law enforcement is it generally speaking people lose the direction that comes in the form of losing losing purpose that comes in the form of losing camaraderie things that were familiar were close were easy to develop and grow and and these young horses that you work with, right? They don't know the direction in which they should go. Same thing with the troubled youth, the youth that experience trauma. They're good kids somewhere, right? They have not been given the direction. They have not been allowed the purpose to find themselves. So for you to take the experiences in, in a career in special operations, your own personal challenges and struggle, right? Coming out of that and, and finding your way, leaving a phenomenal career in training for horse work, the challenges of repairing a marriage. I mean, direction is it. You, you have not only found in your journey so many times over, but now for you to leave that legacy for others is just, it's most, most commendable. And, and for those, for most people in the service professions, I mean, it's ingrained in you, right? You will find a service in anything that you do. And like I try to convey to folks coming out of the law enforcement military careers is it what brought you all of that success, the discipline, the work ethic, the drive, the intelligence, right? The hunger of education, whatever, however you want to describe that skill set doesn't change because your uniform changed. You're not wearing a uniform anymore, a different set of patches, a different set of gear or attire, a different job. None of that changes. It's a different direction. And who you yeah. are is that skill set, not what you did. What you did is not who you are, right? And, and they have to find a, a healthy way to create that separation and refocus that skill set in the new direction. Oh, yeah. And you, you, you hit the nail on the head with, with the, the direction part. And you, you find so many... And it's not you. You see it more in the the, the post military service and the post law enforcement service, just because of the, the structure of those yes. you know those entities in a sociological standpoint. But you even in any career, you you tend to define yourself by the job. Like the job is who you are, yeah. because it's taken up so much of your life, right? Yeah. Um, and you've committed so much to it, but I think that 
part of our, our job as humans is to, you know, and it's, it's hard to be able to find definition of self outside of your job. Right. Um, who, you know, because that's part of what gives, you know, what, what fills your, your cup, so to speak, right. Mm-hmm. You're good mm-hmm. at that. And so people, you know, there's only a certain set of people who know you in that aspect, right? They, they know you, they, because of your job, um, other people know you because of something different, but a, it tends to attach too much weight to who you are because of what you do. And a, a lot of people, and I think you hit the nail on the head, they, that's not who you are. Yeah, exactly. Those are skills that you have acquired to keep moving forward in any direction. Yes. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it's, it's hard to get people to wrap their minds around that concept because it's such a comfortable concept to stay in that same job. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but once, once you wrap your mind around the concept, like you said, if it's just a different direction, what do you, those skills don't, you know, like you didn't just open the valve and everything you learned in the past 30 years, 20 years, five years, whatever it was, didn't just drain out. Yeah, dissipate. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're facing all these different things with no skills. That's not what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's one of the most important things that, that horses have shown me, right? Just working with these two young colts. I had, I'd been working with them pretty solid for a month, you know, four or five days a week, we'd go out and we'd get some stuff done. And then I'd been, um, I'd been back at my house for a month, tinkered around getting stuff set up, um, for, for school, for my kids and that kind of thing. And I went to pick up these two little fillies and I backed the trailer up. I opened the gates and before I can even catch one of them, she's loaded herself into the trailer. Isn't that incredible? She's never she's seen a trailer once before in her life when she got loaded up out of Montana and driven to the sale down here. Yeah. And it was just a super cool feeling for me to say, you know, look at all the tools that that were needed to be able to do that, even from a psychological standpoint, right? That, that they don't perceive things in the same way we do and their vision's different, their hearing's different and don't speak the same language. Yeah, we don't <laughs> Nothing, speak the same language. Right? <laughs> and how many times I've seen people who had, you know, name the dollar amount on the horse not be able to get into a trailer. Correct. And the shenanigans that follow yeah. of trying to load this horse into a trailer yeah. and just give them the tools and show them the direction they're supposed to use those tools in. Yeah. And, and how that relates to our, you know, our lives is a super neat concept if you can commit to it. Yeah. It's, it's incredible to see, to see it all come full circle on so many levels because I mean, the sacrifice and, and we could, I mean, gosh, we could probably spend hours talking about the sacrifice of a military career or a law enforcement career, right? And the deployments and especially working special operations and just the, incredible threat, right, that you're under every time you're deployed, uh, it's going to take a toll, right? Not being there for your wife, not being there for your kids, in and out. Like, yes, you have a job, and yes, you have a skill set, and yes, we're all focused on it in doing that, but all of that, quote-unquote, other stuff, right? The family back home, the children back home, what you would rather be doing, 
than than being overseas, you know, on a deployment. Uh, it's it's a challenge on a man. It's a challenge on a human being, a service man, service women, however you want to phrase it, to create that separation because you need to be wholeheartedly committed to your operation or your mission because lives depend on it. But your heart and everything is at home and you want nothing more than to be there and supporting that and traveling down that journey. So uh, there is always a give and take. There is always a struggle. There is always a fight. But to see you personally take all those experiences and sacrifices and pursue such a, a valiant education in understanding the neurology on a deeper level and now applying it to kids that may not have been given a chance to to train and work with horses that people would probably throw away right is it's most commendable and i think it's greater testimony and shows stronger evidence that this stuff works right oh uh, yeah in the horsemanship approach in understanding the neurology and understanding us as human beings and developing our own awareness and our own patience and our own skill sets uh we're going to get we're going to be broken at some point, right? It's just, it's human nature. There's too much to life for it not to happen. But just because bad experiences happen or quote unquote failure failures take place does not mean that an individual is a failure or does not mean that an individual is broken. We might've been broken, but there's always a repair that can take place. We just got to, we, as ambassadors of it, right, have to be out in the forefront and helping people and actually taking action and talking about it excuse me, not only talking about it, but, but having the action to back that up. Cause I don't care how many pushups you do in this world. It's not going to fix the suicide rate, right? No. Calling, yeah. and, and, calling and checking on the next man is going to do it. Watching for those small, subtle changes in an individual's personality. I mean, when you're deployed or you're working side by side with a person, you know, them pretty darn well, regardless of how close you are. Right. But those, those changes mean something, right? Checking in on folks and introducing them to the, I use the horse by way of example, right? Because it's familiar, and that's what that's what we know. Um, but there's any number of ways to to check on the next individual and make sure that things are okay. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it it goes to a lot of times, and I think it's the the separation from tribe, right? If you yeah. know, if you've read Sebastian Younger's book Tribe, it's the it's such a, a spot on description of the the society that they lost that and it, it was what you built your life around you know and, and i understand the motivation behind the the use of you know like the push-up challenge or the ice bucket, you know yeah. whatever the, the bring social media challenges, it, right. it, yeah. it brings awareness um but i can be aware that the gate is open and that the horses will get out yeah and i can tell somebody hey the gate's open and the horses are going to get out I'm aware, but if I don't go close the gate, <laughs> then the horses do there get out. The horses, yep. Um, and so the, you know the difference between raising awareness and whatever steps are needed to take awareness forward into action. Um, I think that's what a lot of times we as as Americans are are missing with our with our servicemen and women of whatever service it was um, because, you know, like you and I were talking about before, earlier with 
just the environment that, that law enforcement and first responders are having to step into now, you know, this in the future is going to cause issues with these people when they had to go and deal with this stuff. Yes. Um, and they served, they deserve just as much credit because they put their life on the line for somebody that they never knew and they may never know. Yeah. Um, and so just the, the fact that, you know, you and I know just as well as, as anybody who's in the horsemanship side of it, that, the horse is such a powerful tool to be able to make connections in people's lives that they don't really want made right from a, from a psychological standpoint, because it's really hard to deal with. Right. It's a non-threatening introduction. Yep. And you know, you can, I, in the, the veterans that have just come out and it's, you know, I'm very loose, loose structured stuff when I work with, with guys and gals who come out. Cause I, I know you sat on enough therapist couch already before you got here or you wouldn't be here Yeah, that I don't need to, to sit around and, and talk to you about how you're dealing with your problems. I'm going to show you how to get this horse to be able to take that left foot and pick it up and move it. When you think about picking it up and moving it Yeah. now, as we get there, there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to have to face and push through or that won't happen. But the horse is going to need to be able to pick up that one foot and move it six inches when you ask them to at some point in their life. And maybe their life will depend on that. And the second you make that connection for people and and they, they see that that horse could depend on something that they have, then a lot of those connections are so much easier to make because they're not, they're not defending anymore. They're, they're trying to help again. They're committed. They're doing it at a pace in which they, the individual could control. Right. Right. You know, they just, for me, it's, it's just, it allows individuals to start taking ownership back of who they maybe once were, who they are, but had been suppressed or pushed aside or forgotten about. Right. Because service careers are going to change you. That just is absolutely inevitable. They're far too stressful and traumatic for it to not rewire you on some capacity. Right. But, Oh yeah. Um, the horse just offers a great opportunity to knock all that dust or rust or whatever off and start getting things cleaned up again. And, and, uh, it does. So like we talked about in a non-threatening manner, because if I pulled up to your house as your buddy said, Hey man, jump in the truck, let's go to a psychologist today or let's go to a psychiatrist today. You're going to tell me to pound <laughs> salt, right? Yeah. No, um, thanks man. <laughs> and, and in no way am I saying that a horse is going to replace some of that, right? There is proper application of medical help from, from a psychologist, excuse me, psychological standpoint. But I mean, I pull up, Hey dude, let's go jump in the truck. We're going to run to the barn real quick, or we're going to go work the horses real quick, or we're going to go gather these cattle, right? It allows these individuals, and I've lived it personally, it allows you to metabolize some of those stresses that got shoved down for so many years and do it at a pace that's healthy, do it at a pace that's successful, and do it at a pace that's going to leave a lasting repair. Right, and it and it also opens the door to you being able to seek further, you know, psychological Yeah counseling if that's yeah. what's needed because yeah. if you and i work together for you know two or three weeks and see this thing that you're kind of getting stuck on it's easier for me as somebody who's been in there and hung out with you and we've just 
shot the breeze and yeah. kind of got stuff yeah. done together to be like, Hey man, um, we're really getting stuck on this, this thing right here that, that seems to really kind of bother you. And when I went to therapy, cause I got stuck, it helped me. Yeah, absolutely. And that conversation is so much easier to have with somebody who you can look at as, as a, as a peer, as a friend, as a mentor, than the local VA or the, you know, the local, you know, psychologist. Yeah. It's so, true, man. Cause when you're, when you're deployed or you're in the fight or any profession, right? We, we have people that we confide in and those we confide in them because of the relationship. It's not cause we dropped them on a couch for the first time. You know, you don't oh, yeah. tell those people your deepest, darkest secrets. Um, sometimes it's probably best that we did in moving forward in some of the, the, the help and counseling, but yeah, man, there's got to be a certain level of trust in that horse. That horse bridges that gap on so many levels. And and I think, obviously, it was one of the, the foundational missions of this show that the horse has so much to offer the service community that has given so much to humanity. You know, it's time that we use the horse to, to serve them and to get them back to who they used to be, you know? Yeah, and it's it, it, there's a you know, a correlation between, you know, horses and humans that, you know, even goes down to a, you know, physiological level, yeah. right? There's very yeah. few species who produce oxytocin in response to touch, right? Oxytocin being the chemical that, that starts calming you down, whether, mm-hmm. you know, and horses, humans, and dogs produce that in response to touch. Yeah. It's crazy. So that, that seems to me like there should be kind of a connection between those three species. On some level. Um, yeah. <laughs> at, at some point that there yeah. should be a, 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 a correlation. Um, and I, I think that, you know, that it's what drew me kind of to your podcast and, you know, the initially your mission was uh, there's been so many things that I've seen that even people who are not going to go make a career out of horsemanship, Correct. Right. And I think a lot of times people kind of misunderstand that aspect of, you know, Hey, we're, you know, I don't, I don't really want to start horses for a living or I don't, I don't want to go, you know, be an inventor or, you know, that, that, that's not what, what we're asking saying, Hey, that there's another tool out here that I can hand you that could help. Yep. And I can show you how to use that tool. And whether you use that tool from now on, as I, I don't really care about that. I, I want to know that you know how to properly use that tool and how to understand how it works. And then you can, you can move forward with your life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, if I show you how to use a set of pliers, a set of pliers is pretty applicable to a lot of things in life. <laughs> yeah. You can get a lot done with a set of pliers. Yeah. But um, you got to use it, but you got to use the pliers and, if I follow, you know, if I don't show you how to use the pliers correctly, then you're going to get hurt and the job won't get done. Um, so I, I, I think that's kind of, I, I see horses as, as, as not only, you know, their own being with, with a job that they need to get done, but as, as something that, that can help people, like you said, bridge the gap between what they thought therapy was, uh, and, and maybe when they actually need to kind of find something that's a lot more structured. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, Josh, it's been an incredible show. Uh, it's great getting to know you and, and some of your military history and experience and, and how that is applicable and how you are now serving youth. Uh, 
uh, in the Kentucky area. Uh, I mean it, man. If there's anything that we can do here at this show to support you, please do not hesitate to reach out. Uh, you've given so much to the show and so much to the community as a whole already. Uh, it's only right that we we help support your cause. And and as always, man, I like to wrap the show with with a question surrounding freedom. So for you and your experiences, right, and whether it be personally or professionally, what is a life skill that you've learned that you would be willing to pass on as far as legacy and helping somebody that might be traveling down the same path of life that you've traveled? Um, okay, so it's a two, it's a two part answer. Um, <laughs> um, but especially as we, you know, if you're looking at moving forward through life and like you always talk about with a, with a legacy, right. Correct. Um, I, I had a buddy of mine, um, who was a, a, a ranger and he was a medic for the Rangers and he always used to say, you can delegate authority, but you can't delegate responsibility. It's incredible. Um, so you can, you can give people authority, um, and you can give, you know, things authority in your life, but overall the responsibility rests with you. Um, so whatever it is that you're, you're doing, I can give other people options and I can give them the chance to, to have input and the authority to, to, to bring things into my life. Um, but overall I have to choose what to do with that and, and the choices that I make at the end of the day belong to me and the consequences of those choices, good or bad, those belong to me too. And I gotta, I gotta own that. Yeah. So I think that as, as a legacy, that's one of the super powerful things to remember is that, you know, you, you can delegate authority, but you can't delegate the responsibility for the things that, that have happened. It's creates um, such great ownership. Yeah. And then the second, um, the second one is, and it, I used to, I say this even when I train guys now, when I train junior medics now or, or, or people that, that want to learn how to do, you know, trauma medicine, I'll tell them that, you know, the true professionals in any given discipline, they aren't some sort of golden ninja, right? Yeah. <laughs> they are absolute masters of the basics. Correct. So correct. And it, a lot of times it seems like to us when we watch people who are masters at their craft, whether it's horsemanship or, you know, you see somebody make a, you know, a run down the fence and working cow horse, or you see somebody in dressage that just like, man, I, I, I don't know how you did that, but it's amazing. And it, and it looks like all these things are coming together and they've got all these cool skills, but it's just the basics mastered. And so what I have tried to, to look at in my life and, and in relationship to that and in relationship to my legacy is that you can use that principle in, in a thousand different ways. But, but me as a Christian, as a servant of Christ, the, the thing that I relate that to is that for me, for Christians, the basics is love the Lord, your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? That, that's a basic principle. The world could use a little more of that. Right? Love God, love yes. people. Yes. Super easy to say, super hard to do. Yes. Absolutely. But it's pretty basic. And if you want to become a professional, you got to master the basics. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Well, again, I can't thank you enough. It's been an incredible hour. And, uh, 
this is probably the first of quite a few conversations between us, man. I, I do appreciate your time and uh, all that you've poured in to all of us here at Let Freedom Reign Podcast, man. We couldn't thank you enough. Yeah, man. I, I thanks for the uh, thanks for the chance to talk about it, Jason. And uh, I look forward to to any conversations we get to have in the future. All right, brother. We'll talk to you down the road. All right. Later. Hey, thanks for riding along with another episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast and being part of our freedom family. If you want to provide greater support of this show, visit patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. And Reign is spelled R-E-I-N. There you can provide a donation at a cost less than the fancy cup of coffee you're probably holding to help us produce free weekly content. For collaborations, to book us as a guest for your next event, or to make guest recommendations, email us at info.lfrpodcast at gmail.com. For the most up-to-date information on Let Freedom Reign, visit our Facebook and Instagram page at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter at Let Freedom Reign underscore. We cannot thank you enough for being our most loyal listeners, and we'll see you on the next one.